One of my favorite sayings that I got from my daughter is, hold on while I overthink it. I like this phrase because it reminds me that we all have this tendency to overthink things and it kind of makes me laugh at myself. Inevitably, I overthink every issue. And often as a parent, that leads us putting the weight of the world on our shoulders. I don't want to call this guilt because we do tend to label it that way. I'm going to say instead that parents, we just feel so responsible. In some ways, as a pediatrician, I like to serve as a sounding board or a checkpoint for when parents are overthinking and they feel really responsible. I can take some of the decision-making off your shoulders when I share what doctors and scientists know about whatever you're worried about. In this episode, I'm gonna share two questions from parents. I'm not gonna call it overthinking. They're thinking deeply and they're asking good questions about their kids' health and their own health. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kids' health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Hi, Dr. Wendy. I'm a new mom. My baby is three months old and I am breastfeeding. I'm feeling so tired and basically unattractive. And I would love to go to the spa and do some fillers, some Botox. I'm wondering at what point I could do this and still safely breastfeed my son. Moms don't ask me this question as often as I think it's on their minds. Being a new mom is exciting, but it's also a time when you feel like a completely different person and it would feel nice to have some return to your pre-pregnancy self. You're devoting so much energy and time to your new baby. It can feel rewarding to do something for yourself, but at the same time, you don't want to worry about it affecting your baby. For some new moms, they want to know if they can go back to using their same products for sun protection, acne, you know, skin spots, so on. There's not a lot of research that's done on pregnant and breastfeeding moms. So this is a difficult question to answer. But doctors do know about some of the products you're using. For some treatments, we know they're safe. Others, we know they aren't safe. But for a lot of beauty treatments, they're just not studied. So I'm going to give you our best guess. First, there are two overarching principles at work here for you to understand. Pregnancy and postpartum has profound effects on your skin and your hair, primarily as a result of shifting hormones that are needed to support your pregnancy and to make the body changes that allow you to be pregnant, to give birth, and ultimately to make milk. These are functions, you gotta think about this. Your body has never done these things before. You've never had to squeeze a small human out between your pelvic bones, for example. So your hormones surge, so they loosen the ligaments between your bones and allow them to stretch more easily. Your body is made of many of the same tissues in your skin, your joints, your hair, and your nails. So when the hormones change to let you be more stretchy, the same thing is going to happen to all of your tissues. That's why hormones cause new spots, dark lines, stretch marks, and even dilated blood vessels. Not to mention, you may get some acne. So that's principle number one. When you consider returning to using the same products you used pre-pregnancy, remember, your body's different. 
Your skin and your body are different and you might need different things and you might react completely differently to your tried and true products. A product you adored before, it might suddenly irritate your new skin. And of course, you have new skincare needs, all those new dark spots and, you know, those things. The second principle I want you to understand is that breast milk is made by pulling nutrients from a mother's bloodstream. So if a skincare product is known to not be absorbed into the blood, it's not going to be found in your breast milk and you don't need to worry about that. Generally, most skincare products, they are not absorbed into the bloodstream, so they're safe. One exception though is vitamin A derivatives like retinol and That is the one no-no on your list of postpartum products. You cannot use over-the-counter retinol or any Retin-A, tretinoin, and no Adapalene or brand name Differin either. They're dangerous. Eyelash serums are the most common thing I'm asked about, so I'm going to start there. Eyelash growth serums are formulated with a glaucoma drug, and that drug has a side effect of stimulating lash growth. Some patients who use the glaucoma drug are really frustrated because their lashes get long and thick and they actually even have to trim them sometimes. The lashes can also get kind of bushy. So I want to warn you about that. And sometimes your eyelids can become discolored. I've had some patients have bad effects from lash serums. So you want to be careful about that. Maybe ask around. Technically, there is not any known safety information about using these serums during pregnancy or breastfeeding. But we do know that this drug in particular breaks down very quickly in the body. In technical terms, we call that the half-life of the drug. And we know it's not going to enter breast milk or cause a problem with pregnancy. The active ingredient, the way it works, it extends the antigen phase or the growth phase of your hair follicles. So it makes sense that if you're losing your lashes after you give birth because your estrogen is falling, your lashes probably are entering that telogen or rest phase of hair growth. So a lash serum actually might work well without a lot of side effects when you're postpartum. However, I did say they work differently on everyone. So you got to be aware. If you're really nervous about using a serum, there is a technique that doctors recommend. You can hold pressure on the corner of your eye where the tear duct is and wipe away any extra serum from there. And that will reduce the amount you absorb. That's just a way to be extra cautious. The next most common treatment I'm asked about is probably because of where I live in La Jolla, California. People ask me about Botox and fillers. Injected Botox is not detected in the blood in studies. So theoretically, it's not going to make it into your breast milk. It hasn't been extensively tested. So I can't tell you with 100% certainty that it doesn't have an effect on your child, but it's really unlikely. The same thing goes for fillers. They're broken down eventually in your skin and absorbed, but they're not likely to affect a pregnancy or be found in your breast milk. However, some cosmetic physicians, they don't like to use these things on pregnant women or women shortly after they've given birth because you can have skin that's a lot more sensitive in the six months after delivery. And a lot of doctors, they don't want to take a chance at having a weird outcome. So you're going to have to ask the specific doctor. The bottom line is that injectables are probably safe, but it might be just as good, honestly, to stay hydrated and use a lot of sunscreen and facial moisturizer that kind of can have the same effect. I do want to share one thing I've heard. One of the hidden dangers of Botox that I've read about in the medical literature is that young children, 
this is going to seem really weird, they're developmentally like attuned to their parents' facial expressions. So looking at a parent's face is just as important as the words that the child hears. And Botox does hide some of a parent's ability to communicate their emotions, particularly when they're like upset to their young kids. So most doctors who inject Botox say they don't use too much so that the patient maintains like a natural look. On the other hand, if you can't frown, it might have benefits to your family if you don't look angry. You know, because when mom looks calm, everyone around her feels calm. Nevertheless, I can't fully recommend Botox. There isn't a ton of solid evidence of it being safe, but most doctors will use it in a breastfeeding mom. So if you want to use it, go ahead. The next most common concern I hear about is hair loss. It's a known fact that pregnant women have beautiful hair and it's probably from their estrogen, which slows hair loss. A lot of women report that their hair starts thinning out usually around three to four months after they've given birth, and that's because their estrogen level falls. Some research studies have looked at this phenomenon and they actually haven't in research seen an actual increase in hair loss. So it's kind of controversial about whether this actually exists, but I hear about it from so many moms that it is a concern. Nevertheless, there are a lot of promoted products towards pregnant and new moms that claim to prevent post-pregnancy hair loss or to thicken mom's hair. I don't think these do anything. There's no evidence that any of them actually work. There probably is a true, maybe excessive hair shedding, I would call it, that happens after delivery, but it's probably the hair that you didn't lose during your pregnancy and it is known that it is reversible. You're gonna recover without using any products by the time your baby is maybe nine months old. There are some hair loss issues that can come up during pregnancy that do need treatment though, like low iron or insufficient nutrition. The difference in these is that hair loss is spread evenly all over the head if it's from pregnancy and that's gonna resolve on its own. But patches of hair loss, that's more concerning and that should make you see a doctor. In particular, you can see hair loss from thyroid disease and up to 3% of pregnant women can develop thyroid disease. It's tough because the symptoms are hair loss, muscle cramps, constipation, and fatigue. So basically the symptoms are the same as pregnancy and being a new mom. It's tough to diagnose. One thing you can do to limit hair loss is don't tighten your braids. Don't wear a tight bun or ponytail. When you wash your hair, wash it gently and take time in the shower. Sometimes it's your only luxury. Use a wet brush or a wide bristle comb to detangle your hair because these things actually do help. I don't really tend to get a lot of questions from moms about skincare products, but there are some known irritating ingredients and there are some unsafe products that I want to mention. I'm just going to share the ingredients that you can put on your face that actually have some benefit and are known to not be harmful to your baby. So ingredients that you can use that have proven benefit are niacinamide, zinc, azelaic acid, hyaluronic acid, and vitamin C. These variously can keep your skin hydrated and bright. So look for products that have a short ingredient list and include the ones I just mentioned. Sunscreen has a similar story. 
for the entirety of you and your kids' lives. The safest for the environment and the most recommended type of sunscreen is the mineral sunscreens. So those are the ones with zinc or titanium rather than chemical sunscreens because chemical sunscreens have a chance that they can be absorbed in the skin in small amounts. And in fact, babies under age six months, they can't use sunscreen because they absorb it. Also, no one has asked me about semi-permanent makeup or henna, but we do know that tattooing your face, like getting eyeliner, lips, or eyebrows, should probably wait until you're at least nine months postpartum and no longer breastfeeding. It's not known if any of the pigment goes into the bloodstream, but it doesn't appear to be any risk. Still, excessive reactions, they're not uncommon in new moms because they have very easily irritated skin. The same goes for permanent hair removal. It's probably safe, but we don't recommend it because the safety isn't totally clear, but more importantly, there are other removal methods that are safer. Like it's better to wax or shave or even use hair removal cream like Nair and save the laser hair removal for later. The last thing that people also don't ask me about, but maybe should, is teeth whitening. There's not a whole lot of evidence about it, but it seems not to have any problems. So go ahead and whiten your teeth and give your baby a big smile. just turned one and she's refusing to drink milk. She's a fantastic eater and I've tried 50 different sippy cups, but whatever I do, she just won't drink milk. Should I be worried she's not getting enough vitamin D or calcium? Some kids just don't really like to drink milk and I think it's fine to follow their lead. It's a lot healthier for a kid to drink less milk than to drink too much milk. There are lots of reasons why we think that kids need milk. Partly it's because we've heard messages encouraging the health benefits of drinking milk from the Dairy Council and the government ever since we were little kids. There's a long history of why this has happened, and it involves government subsidies to farmers and a surplus of milk, as well as the fact that milk is an easy way to improve nutrition in a population of people who are malnourished. So we've heard a lot of messages about milk over the years. It's true that milk is a great source of easy to access protein, fat, and carbohydrate, as well as you know, other essential nutrients like you know, calcium, phosphorus, riboflavin. And in societies that have experienced famine, we've seen that health rapidly improves when we provide milk. It's just that easy. In our lives, babies are fed human milk or formula, and that provides their complete nutrition for growth. And since cow's milk looks just like breast milk and formula, it tricks our brains into thinking that kids still need that. And it really is, like I said, an easy source of protein and fat to provide, especially to someone who's a picky eater. However, there is a downside to milk in that too much of it interferes with the absorption of iron. And it also has been associated with drinking too much milk causing overweight. So we have to find a balance. Kids need a specific range of calcium and vitamin D and giving them about two cups of milk a day provides exactly what they need. However, if your child takes in less dairy than that, you just need to make sure they're getting other foods that have calcium and vitamin D in them. Remember, milk is fortified with vitamin D. It doesn't naturally occur in the milk. So if you get your vitamin D from a pill, that's just as good as getting it from milk. 
You can also get vitamin D from brief sun exposure and about 15 minutes a day of exposure to sun will help your skin to make vitamin D in your body. You can also get it from food like egg yolks, salmon, or other fortified products like like cereal has it added and soy milk, lots of other dairy foods too, of course. And you can get it from beef liver. I, I don't really see kids eating beef liver all that much these days. Calcium is really not that hard to get, and it's in lots of foods that kids should be eating anyway. Besides dairy products, you can get plenty of calcium in green vegetables like spinach, kale, bok choy, tofu, black beans, almonds, and even chia seeds have calcium. If you're still not emotionally convinced that your kid doesn't really need to drink milk because you've heard it does things like help with bone density or prevent broken bones... I've heard it makes strong teeth. What else have you heard? Well, here's the truth. A study in JAMA Pediatrics, that's the Journal of the American Medical Association, found that children who live in countries that drink less milk have fewer bone fractures than those kids in milk drinking countries. And it could be because the kids don't, you know, jump around and do stupid things as much, but I assume the researchers probably considered that. The researchers found that a more important factor to building strong bones is putting weight on your bones through things like movement and exercise. That makes bones grow and get strong, just like exercise does for muscles. All right, what about growing taller? Several studies have shown that there is a correlation between height and drinking milk. In fact, a study of preschool children in the United States showed that kids who were in the top 25% for consuming milk were about a centimeter taller than their friends. Another United States study found that consuming milk was linked with taller teenagers. So there is evidence to suggest that it's true that milk makes you taller, but let me ask you, is it necessarily healthier to be taller? Milk drinkers may get more protein, but cow's milk is also a source of growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor. So some researchers think that milk consumption might affect growth by increasing the circulating hormone levels in kids. So whether that's good, bad, or doesn't have any consequences at all, it's not clear yet. However, there is data to suggest that milk from cows who are raised in a pasture, you know, those who freely graze on grasses rather than being fed commercially produced foods, their milk is more nutritious than other cow's milk. New research has shown that pasture-raised organic whole milk, and the study I'm citing they used the brand Organic Valley, is a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. And this study showed that they had 62% more omega-3s than in any other conventional whole milk. In other studies, increased milk consumption was associated with taller kids, but also was associated with a higher rate of being obese or overweight. This was from a study back in December of 2014 in the Archives of Disease in Childhood. And they found that preschoolers who drink three or more servings of milk a day, they're more likely to be taller, but they're also more likely to be overweight or obese. Milk consumption does also have benefits that we know of though. Some studies have shown that drinking milk can prevent high blood pressure, kidney stones, insulin resistance, even cancer. But these health benefits may be due to the increased calcium intake and not necessarily to the milk itself. It's just as good, possibly better, to get calcium from your food. 
All right, what about saturated fat? That's the other concern people have with drinking dairy. Milk does have saturated fatty acids in it, which is related to higher cholesterol and can lead to poor cardiovascular health. But there hasn't been a strong link between the fat that's in milk specifically and heart disease. And some studies have even shown there's a benefit to health from dairy fats. What about alternative milk beverages? Soy milk is the best alternative in terms of its protein content. I also like pea milk for the same reason, but all the other milks are garbage. They're basically sugar water. Be sure to read the nutrition labels. Almond, oat, rice, all those milks, you just can't expect to get any real nutrition from them. They are definitely better for the environment, and that is a perfectly fine reason to avoid drinking cow's milk because there are plenty of alternative ways to get the nutrients that you might otherwise get from cow's milk. And if your child is lactose intolerant, and a lot of people are, they have plenty of good options. They can take a pill form of the enzyme that will allow them to digest milk sugar. They can drink lactose-free cow milk, or they can just drink any milk alternative. The other question I hear a lot is why a baby under 12 months can eat dairy food like yogurt, but they're not supposed to drink dairy milk. It's because cow's milk has more protein, sodium, and potassium than is healthful for human babies to consume. And it lacks certain essential fatty acids that babies need to develop. So you don't want to replace any of their fluid intake with cow's milk. But yogurt is fine. They don't even eat that much of it. If your child just doesn't like milk, like the mom says in this question, honestly, good for them. If they prefer to eat a ton of different foods, let it go, give them a vitamin D supplement, and move on. So do kids need milk? No. There's a lot to know about milk. The bottom line is that if you care about the environmental impacts of milk consumption, or if your child just doesn't like milk, there's not enough known benefits to force cow's milk consumption on your child. And it's not so much cow's milk versus not cow's milk. The better answer is that you want to choose the optimal amount of cow's milk in your child's diet and maybe even the right brand because milks aren't all created equally. Two cups of milk a day for a young child and three cups a day for anyone over age nine on average gives the right balance of nutrients that they need to grow. Between you know that young age of two or three and age nine, a child can take between two and three cups a day. It's not that important. More than that can have negative benefits. So like everything else, moderation is the answer. Milk is filling. It will fill your child up. And if kids drink a lot of milk, they're not gonna be hungry for other nutritious foods like vegetables and fruits and fish. If your child isn't hungry at mealtimes or seems to only want milk, you need to offer it less and offer them more real foods. I hope I've covered all your questions about things moms can do. I know you didn't eat soft cheese or sushi and you abstained from your favorite relaxation drinks for a long time. And now is when you can finally pamper yourself just a little. So go ahead, take some time for yourself to make yourself feel a little more like your old self so you can be your best self for those who now depend on you. You're beautiful for what you have created. And I know it can be hard to see when you feel like your hair is falling out and you have new brown spots and you're honestly just too tired to even see. 
Choose something that makes you feel good. Schedule some time to do it. And know that when you care for yourself, you're caring for your family too. And at the same time, you're setting a good example. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.